welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of uh, PR Week, going to guide you gently through another show. I've got my co-host back with me, Frank Washgut. Frank, we, we turned the show over to the kids last week, yeah. didn't we? The Gen Zers. And uh, they did such a good job that it has been suggested that we didn't need to come back. But anyway, <laughs> it's, it's good to have you back, man. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. And uh, yeah, I second what you said. They did do a great job last week and added a different perspective to the show. So Now, you were in Berlin I was. running well, a marathon, amongst other things. How did that go? It, it went well. And um, yeah, I was in Berlin. I was in Cologne for uh, a couple of days and I was in Vienna. Very nice. Yeah, it was a good okay. trip. It was a great trip. Well, we will chat to Frank about various topical subjects, including Shell reviewing its account, Publicis's new policy on in, in office, brands involvement in gaming, Amanda Coffee moves from PayPal to Under Armour. Another client's gone the agency side. Interesting. Is that a trend or just a coincidence? Deirdre Latour launches a consultancy. And of course, wouldn't be a newsy podcast without a Travis and Taylor update from Frank. So, uh, but we've got a great guest this week. We've got Maeve Duvalli with us, who's president of Glasheen & Co. Maeve, um, welcome to the show. It's really fantastic to have you on and you're local. So we've got you in the studio here. Turns out you live in the same place where I used to live. So it's quite a coincidence. Yeah, well, um, Steve and Frank, thank you very much for having me here. I'm excited to be here. And it only took me three minutes to walk from my apartment to here. That's, so that's the best part. Yeah, during Hurricane Sandy, I was the only person who went into the office because I didn't really have an excuse to uh, not go in and uh, my commute was longer vertically than horizontally mm. so mm. so yeah it's great to have you on the show and your your story is incredible you you're part of our pride in PR list this year and um, but you've just written a book called Maeve Rising which was came out in August available at all good bookstores and book websites so uh, everybody check that out but Essentially, we ran a piece, an op-ed piece from you back in 2019. The headline was, I left work as Michael and returned as Maeve. And that was when you were working at Goldman Sachs. Tell us about that and tell us about that experience. And um, how, how did you deal with it? Because you, you were dealing, you were part of the comms team at Goldman. You were dealing with journalists. You were dealing with internally. Um, talk us through the experience. So 2018 was a very consequential year for me. I've uh, had a lifelong battle with alcohol and I finally got sober at the beginning of 2018. And a little bit later in the year, I realized I was transgender and I came out immediately in my social life, but I was not comfortable yet coming out at Goldman Sachs and people don't come out because they're worried about being accepted. Um, I made a decision in April of 2019 to come out and I came out right after Memorial Day. And the interesting thing is we had to tell kind of as part of a best practice, because my appearance is going to change, my name's going to change. We had to tell people internally and the people I deal with externally um, in advance that this was going to happen. And obviously the big external constituency I deal with is reporters. So we always knew that there was a possibility that somebody would want to write a story. So the, the New York Times wrote a story and um, that triggered um, some other press coverage. And it was an interesting experience for me because up until that point, um, there was very little in the public domain about me. And I'd, I'd been a very private person, but suddenly um, my life had become um, very public. And I, I got used to that um, pretty quickly. I, I really had no choice. And I 
People find this hard to believe, but I had a very good experience coming out of Goldman Sachs. I found the people very supportive, very accepting, and um, my experience was good. Yeah, because I think the finance industry is very traditional, supposedly, and you might have thought that it would be a difficult experience. So I think Jake Seward was the head of comms there at the time then. So what was it like walking into work on that first morning and, and how, did, how did it pan out? Yeah, I was, I was extremely excited. And um, as part of that news story that I just referred to, a reporter shadowed me for my first three days at work. So that kind of made the experience very interesting, you know, mm-hmm. knowing that anything you do or say could be subject uh, of a news story. Um, so I was very excited, but I was also anxious because I, I just didn't know how people were going to react. And that's been my experience for virtually every new experience that I've had um, since being out transgender. I've been, I've been, I had anxiety every time I did something for the first time, but after I got through it, um, I said to myself, I can do this. And then I kind of moved on to the next challenge. So um, it's been a learning experience for me. But, um, you know, and in this area that I live in right now, um, like right on the border of Chelsea, I'd have to say if you're an out transgender person, this might be the best place in the world to live. So I'm very fortunate. Yeah, it's right next to the FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology. And so great part of New York. I love living here and love love coming to work here every day. So I think one of the, the reasons we do the Pride in PR list is that people, it's it's great for people to see role models that they can aspire to because you like, you. it's important to see people like you um, in the workplace and there's a whole idea behind diversity, isn't it? Have you got any stories about other transgender communicators or people generally who who might have been helped by the story that w- was told when you, when you went through your experience. So this was the most surprising part of my experience coming out. As a result of um, news stories like you did about me, I was uh, basically sent a lot of transgender people in various stages of coming out in corporate America or um, transgender people in college or graduate school that may have already been out but were worried about interviewing as an out transgender person reached out to me to share their experience with me and to learn more about our experience and that is exactly what the power of storytelling is it's identification you tell your you share your experience with somebody somebody identifies with it and you you just you just develop this relationship and it's it's very powerful so i learned that my experience could really benefit other people and um since then i've tried to uh give more and more of my time to helping other uh transgender people to helping other uh lgbtq plus people and that's actually one of the reasons why i left goldman sachs last year so i could devote more of my time to that yeah, I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Um, but um, what what is your advice to people who are transgender in the workplace or who are on the journey um, that you were on? Um, what are the main things you tell them when they sort of ask for advice? Well, one of the most important things is to is to reach out to people like me who've been through it before. This isn't just something that's unique to transgender people, but 
human beings tend to, when they stay in their head and they don't talk to other people about what's going on, um, they tend to feel isolated, um, powerless, and you, you break that helplessness when you talk to other people who've shared the experience with you. So I tell people that they need to talk to as many people as possible, like me, who've already been through the experience and can share, um, you know, what was difficult, what was easy, what worked for me, what didn't work for me. That That's by far the most important thing. Yeah. And what sort of reaction have you had to the book since that came out? I think it came out in August. Yeah. I've had a very positive reaction. Um, I, I get a lot of credit for being very honest, which, which I like. And the interesting thing is I, I've always thought of myself as a good writer. And I've had a lot of journalists tell me that the book is well-written. And I laugh a little bit when journalists tell me the book's well-written because I think in there is a little bit of the assumption that um, a lot of journalists think like they're the only ones who can write well. And um, I can write pretty well. So um, I've got a lot of feedback. It's been honest and well-written. Well, I think me and Frank get a nosebleed if we have to write more than 2,000 <laughs> words. So it's, writing a long-form piece is a lot harder. It um, definitely is. But you used to be a journalist, of course, uh, earlier in your career. So uh, you've yep. got that. I, I, I love writing. Yeah. Um, and, and quite frankly, I, I loved my job at Goldman Sachs. I was in media relations for 20 years at Merrill Lynch and Goldman Sachs. Um, I'll tell you the only negative part of my job was there was very little writing. Most of my job was, it really was on the phone. And I, I love being on the phone. I love the give and take, the sparring with journalists. It's, it's just a lot of fun for me, but um, I missed writing. Yeah, yeah. Um, where do you think corporate America is now in terms of diversity and LGBTQIA plus communities? Um, it sounds quite positive from what you, you're saying, but, the, you know, the, obviously we're in a very febrile social environment, which is, is, uh, is, is the sort of context of uh, America these days and, and around the globe. What, so what, what's your take on that? Yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces in that question. So number one, I have to say um, I'm white. I live in New York City. I work for Goldman Sachs. I was very privileged. And I, I believe I had a very positive experience. And part of that is the actual experience. But part of it is the lens through which I see it. I came out a lot later in life. So like I view things differently than somebody who maybe is coming out um, in their 20s. So that's my experience. I would say that in corporate America, there are certain industries that are more forward-looking when it comes to diversity. Um, and if you're talking about LGBTQ plus diversity, I'd say big financial institutions, big tech, obviously entertainment, luxury goods. These are sectors that um, are, are supportive and accepting. Um, some of the other sectors are a little bit um, behind, and I'm hoping that over time they'll learn from our example and catch up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And what did you make of the whole Budweiser in incident? It sort of blew out of all proportion to what was a very small piece of marketing collateral and suddenly became a, a three-month story that impacted their share price, you know. Um, what did you make of the whole event and, and, the, and the comms response? What would your advice be to a, a communications person in a, a crisis situation like that or a situation like that? 
Yeah, that's a very fascinating situation, and there's um, a lot to learn from that. Um, first of all, I'd have to say that uh, the company just threw Dylan McVaney under the bus. Um, she didn't deserve that. Um, so, so that was extremely unfortunate. But one of my takeaways is, is if you're going to stick your neck out for an underrepresented group, in this case, transgender people, and have transgender people represent the firm in advertising, then when you take some heat, um, you can't cave. And Budweiser caved, and they're, and they're paying for it with their traditional customer base and with the LGBTQ plus base. And we have long memories. We're, we're not going to forget this. They might move on from this, but we're not going to forget what they did. And um, we're, we're a growing part of the economy. Um, the um, LGBTQ population is, is, I think, about 7% of the U.S. population. And if you lump in, there's no good statistics on allies, but I'm thinking of allies who are real allies, who call out um, bad behavior, who call out bad comments when they see this. Let's just say that's another 7 or 8%. So we're talking 15% of the population. Um, that's, that's big. And the... Other takeaway that I have from Bud Light, and, and there's a little bit of a silver lining here, is, you know, up until this point, we've, we've heard a lot about rainbow washing. You know, companies who really don't back LGBTQ plus people, but they there's no downside to putting out a pride flag during Pride Month. And we've always been concerned about, about that. And you know what? In this environment, we are going to find out who our friends are and who the kind of wishy-washy companies are. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because I remember going to the Queen's Pride March, um, which they set up because, um, you know, they didn't feel the Manhattan Pride March was necessarily representing in the right way. And they don't take corporate sponsorship. They're, that is a, one of their, they'll take local sponsors, but they won't take corporate sponsorship. So yeah, I think that uh, anything that can help that along the way is a good thing. So for sure. Tell us a bit, you talked about leaving Goldman Sachs and setting up your own thing. Tell us what led you to leave and um, what you're doing now. It really was a good, good time for me to leave. I'd worked uh, 36, 37 years for big companies, about 15 years as a journalist and um, 20 years in, in PR, and um, I'm 62 now, and I do a lot of work with um, nonprofits. I mentor a lot of people. I spend a lot of time in recovery um, sponsoring people, and I try to give a lot back to the LGBTQ plus community and the human race in general. Um, the, the only problem is a lot of those activities I don't make any money from. So I need to figure out um, how, to, how to make some money. And um, I'm hoping my book sells. Um, I, I still do some consulting for uh, Goldman Sachs and, and some other companies. So between public speaking, um, consulting, and writing, I'm, I'm hopefully going to be able to make a living going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure everybody buys the book for sure. And um, thank you for coming and telling us about your story. And um, looking forward to chatting you about the uh, topical issues of the day. So, Let's do it. Thanks yes, for having me. It's great. Frank, so Shell has reviewed its global PR account. 
um, quite an interesting um, story, and uh, especially as they just reviewed all their marketing as well, didn't they? Yeah, and it's a tricky account because as the energy giant is seeking what they're calling a long-term relationship with an agency that has capabilities including corporate comms, public affairs, crisis and issues management, uh, thought leadership, and other strengths, um, not everybody is a fan of agencies working with energy companies. Um, and so one case that happened recently was uh, with Havas taking the media buying account for Shell and getting a lot of backlash um, with some people suggesting they should even that Havas should give up their B Corp status as a result of working with the energy company. So it will be interesting to see who Shell picks eventually uh, as their global PR agency partner, maybe even more than one agency. Uh, and there will almost certainly be some blowback to to whoever wins and accepts the account. Yeah, because Havas, I believe, was also doing the work around COP28, wasn't it? So um, those two didn't necessarily jive with some people. And Maeve, what do, what's your take on this? And how's it different to, say, the, the financial world in terms of dealing with clients like that? You know, one of the things that's held back the cannabis industry, for for instance, is it, proper banking is can't be put in place. But uh, financial institutions have to make decisions about this. How different is it for them versus someone deciding whether or not to work on an account like that as sure. an agency? Well, first of all, I'd point out, judging by this neighborhood, the cannabis industry is doing just <laughs> fine. Um, but um, New, all of New York's kind of like that these days, it's right? More, yeah. it's, it's more than San Francisco these days, isn't yeah. it? It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but that same uh, issue Frank was talking about exists in the financial services sector. Um, um, although financial institutions are putting a lot of money into backing renewable energy projects. Um, they're still spending a lot of their time and resources financing um, fossil fuel companies. And there's, uh, you know, a sizable number of people who want the financial services industry to stop doing that because if they stop doing that, it's going to make it difficult for um, fossil fuel companies to continue their activities. Uh, financial institutions would argue that, um, you know, there's a, there's a transition period between what we have now and the path to completely renewable energy. So they have to bridge that gap. There's no, there's no definitive answer on that, but that kind of ferment is definitely going on in the financial services industry yeah. as well. Yeah, and I think the argument from agencies that do take on work like that is, look, we're helping the transformation and the the, the business transformation. And if if we all pull away from that, it, this sort of business will end up with uh, bad actors. So there there are arguments on both sides, and uh, so that will be a really interesting review to follow. And we will bring you all the details of that as it unfolds. Interesting story broken by our former reporter, Sabrina Sanchez, who's now creative editor on Campaign. She broke a story about Publicis and its in-office arrangements. They're going to make in-office Mondays compulsory and eliminate consecutive days working remotely, Frank. Interesting Interesting one, that, yeah? It is, from Sabrina, our current, our, our former reporter and our current in-office neighbor. Uh, so, it, first of all, it, it kind of raises this thing of where when are the RTO stories ever going to end? It's, a, con still it's get, a constant it, evolution. Yeah, it is. Um, 
And I have to tell you, a few years ago, I didn't think we'd still be talking about this right now. I thought we'd all be back in five days a week. But here we are. It's the end of 2023. And Publicis um, is bringing their employees back to the office three days a week. And they can't have consecutive days at home. So put in the simplest possible way, that means people are required to come in on Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursday, or Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, you have to imagine that that mandatory Monday in the office will not go over well with everybody. Uh, you know, maybe people who perhaps start their Monday a little bit slowly. Um, so I don't know um, anyone like that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, this this is an interesting one. Will other networks follow suit? Will other holding companies follow suit? A lot of agencies have made a recruiting selling point about the flexibility they offer. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I must admit, when, I, when we first came out of COVID, I thought Monday would be that day that you did go in the office because you get everyone together, get them ready for the week, do your planning. Yeah. But it didn't really pan out like that, did it? It became sort of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. No, it did not. But I agree with you that, that there are in-person meetings that are best held on a Monday because mm. then you can get more out of them throughout the week. So, Yeah. Yeah, and from what you said earlier, Frank, it looks like you want to be in five days a week. Is that correct? You know, I, I don't mind coming in as much as some people do, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I don't want to. Maybe I guess anybody. you've you were in the corporate world at Goldman, and then you're sort of doing more of a consultancy gig now. So you've seen both sides of the coin. Yeah, and it's very interesting because initially um, the workers kind of had the upper hand, right? And then um, over time, that's swung to management. And financial services initially was an outlier. I, financial services was, um, we have an apprenticeship culture. Um, we need our people in to train our more junior um, employees. We have a collaboration culture. So you need to be in the office. So um, it, it really was was a difficult sell early on, but it turns out that um, a lot of companies have gone that way. Personally speaking, um, as somebody who um, really doesn't go into the office much these days, I'd like to see workers have flexibility. As long as workers have demonstrated that um, they can be productive at home, I, I kind of like this hybrid uh, model where you know maybe they come in three days a week, but they have the option of working at home two days a week. It seems very reasonable and it recognizes some of the realities and some of the lessons we learned during COVID. Yeah. Um, and you learn a lot by osmosis, don't you, in both journalism and in PR. So I think the getting best, best of both worlds is, is a good place to be. And Goldman was pretty hardcore, wasn't it? Four days they yeah, insisted so, on? So financial in, the financial uh, industry was an outlier and initially Goldman was... Uh, an even bigger outlier. So Goldman was really at the far end from very early on um, advocating for people to return to the office. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how it pans out with the agencies and see. Uh, there was there was some suggestion, Frank, that the clients were kind of pushing this a little bit. We've heard a bit of that, yeah. You know, and like and then even some client unhappiness yeah. with how often uh, their agency partners are not in the office yeah. uh, and and demanding that they be in more. Yeah, so. yeah. especially in the big cities. So, yeah. okay, we'll see how that pans out. Now then, evaluating brands' involvement in gaming, Frank, this is uh, a Brandon Dura story way above my head, I have to admit, <laughs> but you're, you're going to demystify it for yeah, me. Yeah, a, a bit over my head too, though. Uh, <laughs> in some cases, these are some 90s trends coming back because you have some of the, and by the way, Brandon was a video game reviewer in an, in an earlier life. 
um, and he takes a look at all of these games on Roblox because what, what's interesting is while a lot of the buzz for the metaverse has gone away over the past year, there there is no shortage of brands popping up on the metaverse or excuse me on Roblox um, and uh, using that as an area to to show off a new side of their their, uh, their brand, so to speak. And I'm I've been told Roblox is a a place where it's very easy to get users to spend money. Uh, as well, which is a bonus to it. So they have a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Battle Tycoon. He gave this one a 7.5 out of 10 and said the name of the game is User Engagement. Um, And the Paramount may not have kept that engagement as high as it would have liked over the longer term, but it did make people aware of the release. He also took a look at Bomb Pop's Restaurant Tycoon 2. And the brand there is Bomb Pop. Now, I'm not familiar with the game or the brand, I hate to say it. But it did score high with uh, an 8 out of 10. And he found that the brand beats some of its goals, but it's hard to give the brand its due without some hesitation with so many metrics don't necessarily speak to the success of the campaign. Uh, there's a third one that's that, um, very bright and colorful uh, Sonic Speed Simulator from Sega. You remember Sonic the Hedgehog? I do. And I remember right. Sega Mega Drives. Still around. <laughs> Still around. Uh, and this one got a 9 out of 10. So Sonic Speed Simulator is the big winner of uh, the Roblox games that Brandon t- took a look did at. Me- did Tetris get a, get a mention? Unfortunately, oh. no. But, um, but there is that Tetris movie. Coming yes, out, and absolutely. so that's still in the picture. Um, so Sonic, uh, the Roblox game, visited more than 824 million times and almost 200 million times more than the second most popular branded Roblox game. These are massive environments for brands to get in front of audiences, yes. aren't they? especially young audiences. One more thing on that. There is, because there's a Barbie everything nowadays. There's a, uh, Mattel is rolling out its first Barbie Roblox game uh, this week. Now, that may it may sound like that's a little bit late, late to the game, no pun intended, but uh, Barbie is coming out on streaming soon. So, Did you have a game that defines your youth, Frank? Video game, computer game? Uh, there'd probably be too many to pick, yeah. honestly, um, between Nintendo and Super Nintendo and that. How about that, you, so. Maeve? Yeah. Uh, call me a Luddite, but I hope to die without ever having gamed. Ah, well, yeah, no, that's a, that's a noble objective, actually. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I can, I can, um, I, I, I can buy into that for sure. Yeah, yeah, it seems the whole world's become a bit of a computer game at some point, sometimes, mm. doesn't it? On the move. Interesting people move story, Frank. Amanda Coffey, well known to us at PayPal. She's got a really uh, exciting new job. She does. She is moving over to uh, Under Armour to lead global PR there. Now, she is going to report uh, to a fellow PayPal alum, Amanda Miller, uh, who joined uh, as chief communications officer this year. Now, Coffee had been at PayPal for nine years and most recently served as director of global corporate communications uh, at the company. Now, we mentioned Miller had left PayPal uh, in July to become PayPal's, or excuse me, to become Under Armour's CCO. Uh, and PayPal chief corporate affairs officer, Franz Pasha, is also planning to step down at the end of the year, though he's going to stay on uh, as an advisor until June 1st of next year. So uh, a few big-name communications execs leaving PayPal. Yeah, po- possibly connected to a new CEO coming in there so, and a new regime. So uh, 
But uh, good luck to Amanda. We, of course, did a coffee break with Amanda Coffee back in the day. She was the perfect person for that uh, slot. Um, another client has gone agency side, Tara Smith from Intel. Uh, is this a trend, Frank, or is this just a coincidence? Well, whichever it is, it seems to be happening more often than it has in past years. So I, w- I would say it's a trend, though uh, it might be one cause or multi- multiple causes. So Intel CCO, Tara Smith, uh, she's leaving the company in early November. She's going to join Vox SPR as a managing partner. Uh, she's also getting an equity stake uh, in the agency and is going to be working with managing partners Justin Hall and Kevin Projaja uh, and Paul Ferecki, the partner emeritus. Um, so she says she's excited by uh, you know going agency side, working with up and coming startups uh, and new companies. Um, the firm is headquartered in Seattle. Uh, and it works with companies including WatchGuard, Ajero, Wallaroo.ai, and SpectreOps. She said it had 60% revenue growth in 2022. Maeve, I guess you've gone from the client side to the consultancy side. So what do you think um, the client side perspective brings to more of a consultancy role where you're doing, dealing with multiple clients? Sure. You, you can't dive into the issues and, and get to know the people like you do when you're in-house. But um, it, it can it, it's very exciting working with um, a number of clients at the same time. It's very fast moving. You have to be very adaptable. So um, it's it's a new experience for me. I've never I've never done consulting for an agency before. And um, I, I like it. Yeah. I was talking to a CCO recently and they said it was a bit like going back to school. You know, you're learning all these new things from uh, all the other folks at the agency, especially the younger staffers. So um, it's it's quite exciting. But it, yeah, we've seen like um, Corey DeBrower from Google take over the lead job at BCW. We've seen Craig Buchholz, uh was at GM and P&G. He's now at H&K. So uh, now Tara Smith has moved as well. So, yeah, interesting stuff. And Deirdre Latour, another client, has launched her own consultancy, Frank. Yes, and it's called Rebellus Communications. And um, she is going to plan it as an advisory firm that consults for boards, CEOs, companies, senior executives in all categories of leaders on strategic communications, issues in crisis, employee communications, and other areas. So she was most, um, she's well known as Edelman's former New York president, but she was most recently EVP and chief communications officer for Madison Square Garden Entertainment uh, Company, which has been in the headlines a lot recently because of the debut of the Sphere venue uh, in Las Vegas, which it's, um, if you've uh, seen the social media videos, so uh, you too are doing a gig over the weekend, yeah. which uh, LeBron James was at. Uh, and uh, putting on his social media, it it does look like a very compelling venue. Yeah, it does look good. I was skeptical, but it 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 does look intriguing. See, my friend was at that. I must check in with him and see how it was. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, okay. Well, good luck to Deirdre and um, Tara with their new ventures. And finally, we can't do a podcast without talking about Taylor, can we? Taylor and Travis. Um, you know that it's almost like the the. The games they've that, that he plays in and she attends have become a sideshow. It, it has to been what a bit. Taylor's doing, yeah, because while Kansas City is winning, they're not playing as well as they had last year, and that's sort of been uh, covered over a bit by this uh, what's said to be a budding romance between the two household names. Now, um, 
It is also Vox described this uh, as a, a capitalist dream, a match made in capitalist heaven, because uh, Jersey sales for Kelsey, uh, who, who, by the way, is, is a star player in his own right and has uh, hosted Saturday Night Live. He's a big name. Uh, his Jersey sales have spiked. The number of his Instagram followers has uh, increased greatly. Uh, and the ratings are up. And, the, and uh, ticket sales at the last Jets game... Um, against Kansas City were were very good as well. So it is um it's looking to be beneficial for uh for the NFL, for the Kansas City Chiefs, for him, uh and for Taylor Swift. So uh you know, good for everybody. Yeah, old Aaron Rodgers has been weighing in as well, hasn't he? Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, calling him yeah, this, this, for, me, advisor, yeah. for me this is one of those things where i tell myself i'm not interested but i find myself reading the stories yeah. and all of a sudden you're like oh i've got to watch this 10 minute song she did way back about jake gyllenhaal and uh what's what's going to happen when these two break up if indeed they're even together and you know will everyone uh... so, so it's interesting he was interviewed uh kelsey was interviewed about this this week not jake gyllenhaal though i'm sure people would love to know what he has to say about this so um <laughs> Um, so he even thinks the NFL has gone a bit, a little bit too far, bringing her into the marketing of it. And, um, and I, I tend to agree on that, that, that I get the, I get the intrigue and I get why they're doing it, but there's, there's a certain point where it's, it's a little too much. Um, so look, interested to see how it continues. If it continues, don't want to speculate too much. It demonstrates the power of her personal brand. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. For sure. Like, for sure. She is driven some suggest so Alison Weisbrot, our campaign editor, did a piece about how she virtually drove the economy this summer, you know. Mm. And uh she you know, she's she goes direct. She's doing that uh documentary directly, you know, yeah. cutting out the middle person and uh, good for her, you know. And uh, a lot of stars now and celebrities, whether they're sports people or actors or uh, musicians, are going setting up their own brand consultancies. They're launching their own brands. They are brands themselves. So it's a rich area. Right. And you, and, um, with her at the game on Sunday was, was Ryan Reynolds, who is, is Blake yeah. Lively's husband, who also has an advertising agency as well, as well as a soccer team now. Wrexham, yeah. Stays quite busy. So, you know, there's that aspect of it as well. I also now know what an Easter egg is, which I'm very <laughs> excited to uh, introduce to my life. It's not a chocolate egg that you have at... Uh, and by the way, I, I can say now that I, I since I've been working here, I've I've had people from your side of the Atlantic telling me that the chocolate is better over there. And I was always very skeptical about that. But now I have to say I'm, I'm pretty convinced. The German chocolate. Yeah, it was quite oh, by, by far. It's European chocolate is better than U.S. chocolate by far. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I, you can get it at that deli um, <laughs> just on 6th <laughs> Avenue, just around the corner. What's it called? Like, uh, opposite the um, food, the big food soup. Well, you can get it in there as well. So, okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So um, thanks, Maeve. It's been great having you on the show. Well, it's really been good fun. To, good Thank to you chat for having to you. Me. And remember, everyone, go out and get Maeve's book, Maeve Rising. And um, yeah, continued good fortune with what you're doing and uh, getting some uh, some interesting work. So uh, well, thank you very much. You. Don't forget, next week is our big conference in Chicago, PR Decoded and the Purpose Awards. It's on Wednesday and Thursday. A few tickets left if you want to join us. Such an amazing lineup of speakers. 
speakers. It's going to be terrific, really is. Got David Hogg uh, confirmed as our keynote, as well as um, Dan Amos, the uh, CEO of Aflax, and loads and loads of others, uh, high-profile CCOs, lots of uh, interesting people. It's going to be a great, great couple of days. The PR Week Awards, the final deadline for entries is the 13th of October. So make sure you get your entries in, your submissions in before then. And then we've got our Hall of Fame in De- in December, 4th of December in New York. And the 40 Under 40 event is on the 26th of this month, October. Not not many weeks left of the year, Frank. We were talking Scary about Scary to think about. Well, about eight weeks, work yeah. weeks left. So, yeah. And we've Hard still got 80 degree heat in New York City. It's good to be alive, everybody. But that's <laughs> all we've got time for on the PR Week. See you next time. <laughs>